1 Samuel I'm going to take you to. If you have your Bible with you, you might want to uh, move there. We, we uh, have spent a lot of time in Samuel uh, in recent years as a church. So if you're part of Emmanuel, your Bible will automatically open there. Uh, but we are going to go back to it today because it's such a precious example of an individual hearing from God. Uh, 1 Samuel and chapter 3. Brief word in the background here. Uh, this is about a young boy, Samuel who was adopted into the kind of community, family community, if you like, of the tabernacle in Israel, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was being looked after. And as such, it was the place of the the special presence of God, the special place where Yahweh, the God of Israel, was drawing near to his people. And it was where the priests would offer sacrifices and people would come to worship. And Samuel's growing up in this holy environment. And yet it's also an environment kind of slightly broken, uh, to say the least. It's, it's a, an environment that's, that's failing. Uh, the leader, uh, Eli, the leading priest, uh, has failed to lead his family, failed to raise his sons up in the love of God and the fear of God. Uh, these, these sons of his have ended up being rebels uh, mistreating people, using their position in a wicked way. Uh, it's, it's all very kind of gross. Uh, you know, it's like the sort of stuff that, that uh, a whole Me Too campaign could start off on. You can read 1 Samuel 1 and 2 to get the idea. But 1 Samuel 3 is where God steps into the situation, but he does it through the little boy living in the community. So let's read what it says. Now, the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of the Lord was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about 
to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son? And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Let's just briefly pray together. Father, we're grateful for your word, your eternal word, this living word by whom you've revealed yourself to us. We thank you for these words of scripture that show us more of your, your son, the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who applies the scriptures to our hearts to bring light and bring change and bring worship and obedience. And we pray that all these things would happen by your grace for each one of us from the most close friend of yours in the room to the person who walks most far from you today. Speak to us each one in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a, a, a remarkable story in so many ways. I, I've only uh, got time to draw out one or two key things from it, but they, they relate to this theme that we're have before us today, hearing God for yourself, hearing God's voice in your own life. Uh, that's that's the, the focus of our attention. And we, we join the story here, Israel's story told throughout the Bible, where actually there is a dearth of the voice of God. It seems rare. The way it's even described at the very start, the word of the Lord was rare. In those days, there was no frequent vision. People weren't hearing things and seeing things from the heavens. Communication was, was flat, was horizontal. didn't seem like a lot was coming through from heaven. And even the, the description of Eli in verse 2, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. It's like the writer is laying it on thick. He's, he's saying it in all kinds of ways. The word of the Lord has shrunk amongst the people of God. They're missing his voice. They're, they're seeing so little of him. The light is nearly got out. And the man who ought to see so clearly, the chief, the, the leading priest, Eli, he barely sees a thing. He barely sees a thing. He's nearly blind. And, and it's, it's obviously symbolic of something way, way deeper than just his physical blindness. Samuel's uh, living in a time of darkness. And, and 
that's striking in the story. It's dramatic. But actually, for us 21st century people, we need to adapt mentally to that being a problem. Because our tendency in the kind of modern Western world, I suppose, is to think of that as normal. <laughs> it's normal for people not to hear voices. It's normal that there's not a, you know, a sort of a religious, spiritual voice coming into society too much, because that's fringy and freaky and flaky. We don't do that. We don't do God in that way. If there is a God, it's a kind of distant God who's allowed to kind of you know, sort of influence the edges. You know, we have cathedrals and that's enough. We certainly don't have people hearing voices in their head because they're freaks. We don't have people hearing from him. That's really uncomfortable for us. We see that as more normal. Maybe in you know, a sort of milder version, we might not be so antagonistic. We might, we might be more pleasant about it and say, yeah, there are spiritual people, but they're the spiritual elite. There are even in churches, even in Emmanuel, uh, temptations for us to get into that mentality. Yeah, we have some people in Emmanuel who hear the voice of God. There's some, some elite people. You know, who are just they're a bit more in it than we are. Most of us, we don't really hear from God and we don't really expect to because that's weird. I want to tell you that is the opposite of, of how God wants it. The very clear teaching from the beginning of the Bible to the end is that God likes talking and he likes talking to his people very much. Part of what it means to be in his church, to be part of his community, to be one of his people, is to hear his voice. It's a privilege. It's, an, it's a normal uh, feature. However much of a, uh, a wondrous privilege it is, it's also a regular privilege for the people of God to hear him, to know him speaking. And it's fascinating, for example, that where this sort of issue comes up in the Bible, it becomes very clear. So in Numbers 11, there's a, there's a story of, of uh, the Holy Spirit powerfully moving amongst the people of Israel in the wilderness and several people hearing the voice of God, several people beginning to prophesy and speak mysteries that God is revealing to them. And Joshua, who is the, the kind of protege of the leader, Moses, gets cross and says to Moses, those people, those ordinary people are prophesying. Stop them. You're Moses. You're the prophet. They're not allowed to prophesy. They're not Moses. Moses surprises Joshua and everyone by saying, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> he says, oh, that all God's people were prophets. Oh, that all God's people had the Spirit. That's, that's the incline of his heart. And as such, he's in, in tune with the one who, when he came amongst us in John chapter 10, said, my sheep hear my voice. That's the, what, that's the way it is for the people of God. One of the characteristics of being looked after by this great chief shepherd, Jesus, is that you get to hear his voice. You do. You get to hear him. He is your chief shepherd. And the people who bring the voice of God to you amongst us in the church, remember what Glenn said last week, if, if you weren't here, listen to the recording, uh, is... So much of the way that we hear the voice of our chief shepherd is through other under-shepherds, if you like. That's, that's true. That's extremely important. 
And some of us, we, we're, we're used to that. We get the idea. I hear the voice of God through the preaching of the word. Amen and amen and amen. But bear in mind, it really is to be the voice of your chief shepherd. The under shepherds, people like me, we're like Sean the sheep. So in, in sort of uh, hopefully not too many ways. But, but you, you maybe know the idea. You know, it's, a bit, it's kind of a few years out of date now. My kids are older. But I remember when they were younger, this is the program they liked. Where, where there's a, there is a chief shepherd. Now, he's nothing like God, um, but there's a kind of chief shepherd who has a, a, speci- a certain sheep who seems to have a bit of a leading role amongst the sheep, Sean. And, and that's kind of a pastor. Yeah, you're kind of, you've got a bit of a role, but you're still a sheep if you're an elder or a pastor in the church or a preacher. You're one of the sheep. You're a kind of a shepherd by weird promotion, but you're still a sheep. Meanwhile, we do have our chief shepherd who speaks to all of us, who, who wants us all to learn what it is to recognize his voice and to hear him for ourselves. It's a privilege. It's a wonder. It's a joy. It's a, it's a delight. So why is the silence apparently normal? Why do we get used to it? Why do we tolerate it? Why do we sort of think of, of the idea of hearing the voice of God as unusual? Why do we imagine that, that it's more normal to live life ignorant of the words of God, the voice of God, the, the, the speech of God? It's an important question. Why do, why do people get into this condition, for example? Like it says, there, there, there was no frequent vision. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Well, a huge answer. One of the main answers to that question that we have time for today is that surely it has so much to do with the condition of our hearts. It, it's, it's important to see through the Bible, the situation is that of a God who speaks openly, a God who reveals himself, has revealed himself, will reveal himself. And yet, listeners who don't listen, hearers who won't hear, People who are so inclined to close their ears to his voice that gradually they become more and more deaf to his voice. It's a simple pattern in the Bible. It happens in all kinds of ways, through stories and through clear descriptions. Romans chapter 1 describes it very abruptly, that when people choose disobedience, choose idols, choose to close their hearts to God, eventually God kind of gives them what they want. People are given over to the desires of their own heart. And so if my instinct is to say, I don't want God to speak to me, I don't want to hear him, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in, interested in listening to him speak, we will gradually become more and more callous to his voice. In fact, that's, that's the description of, of, of human experience from the beginning. That's what the Bible says has happened to us. It's not that God can't speak, it's that, it's that we can't hear. We refuse to. It's not an innocent uh, hearing impairment, it's a willful hearing impairment. So the Bible says in all kinds of passionate ways, like Hebrews chapter 3, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because you can become callous to the voice of God to the point where you don't really hear him anymore. In fact, there's even the, the way that God can kind of agree 
He can kind of confer. He can, he can confirm our decision not to listen by saying, in that case, I won't speak. You won't receive my voice anymore. One of the most powerful examples of this is in the prophet Amos chapter 8. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. God can so confirm our decision to refuse him that, in fact, we can't hear him anymore. And the word isn't even offered in the same way. This is a terrible thing to happen. It's a terrible thing to happen to anybody. It's a terrible thing to happen to a nation. And bear in mind what Amos said there. A nation can have a famine not of bread or water. You can have all your material needs met. You can have a nation like the UK, which seems to be you know, recovering from economic collapse and doing okay. And we might even feel we're fairly hopeful on a few levels and maybe a little bit affluent and quite encouraged about things. But you can be in a famine of the word of God. Everything else can be prosperous, but the most important, the only important thing, really, we don't even notice it's gone. The bread that comes down from heaven, the voice, the word of God, we're not even hungry for it. Our appetite has been checked. We, we, don't, we don't feel a desire. We don't know that we starve. And so our heart condition can be the reason why the voice becomes so dim, so, so quiet. And, and we need to recover our hunger. <laughs> we need to reject our entitlement, perhaps. Our sense that, yeah, well, of course, God's supposed to speak to me. You know, and I'm, I'm amazed that I've been through a few weeks or months or years where, where you know, I, I, I hasn't showed up and told me exactly what I should be doing and solved all my problems, given me the answers to my exams and, and, and done all the things that I, I needed. Just, he didn't. How dare he? And we, we reverse the situation. We imagine that we're somehow entitled rather than realizing how desperate and dependent we are and how extraordinary and wondrous it is and gracious it is of him to privilege us with his voice which he does richly but we must come humbly we must come hungrily we must come with that attitude of appetite with that yearning in us i'm just reminded in in preparing for this that 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 place in revelation chapter three where where jesus speaks to uh, the church in laodicea and says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And bear in mind, often we hear that verse uh, re referred to in the context of an invitation to become a Christian. I I'm knocking at the door. I want you to turn to me and become a Christian, and then we can be together. You know, fair enough, but please notice, Jesus isn't talking there to people who aren't Christians. He's talking to a church. He's talking to a bunch of Christians, and he's saying, if anyone, if anyone will open the door, if you hear my voice, a whole church can be in that dangerous place of not really wanting to hear him. And Jesus offers something extraordinary. Jesus says, if anyone opens the door, I will come in to be with him 
and we will sit together and we will eat together. The feast he's offered us, what, the, the banquet he's laid out. If, if only our appetites would grow. If only we would see how precious. If only we would be tantalized and start longing, oh, to hear the voice of my Jesus. Oh, to, oh, to be with him. But our appetites are too easily just, oh, just blotted out by the junk food of temporary pleasures and fleeting gratifications that we know don't satisfy us. Maybe that's one of the reasons fasting is so important. We go into a short season of fasting as a church now. Let me urge you to take it seriously. Consider what this might mean for you. Three days. What, what can you do to deliberately stir your appetite for Jesus? What can you push out of your life to, to, remind, to humble yourself? Remind yourself there are better things in life. There are richer things. There is richer fare. There are better tables laid in the world than my breakfast table. There is a table of Jesus saying, come, let's get time together. I want to talk to you. I want you to talk to me. I want time. This is what you were made for. But if our appetites don't grow, my friend, do you understand that if you're born again, within you, in an embryonic form, in a small form at least, is a raging, yearning, longing for the voice of God. It's true. You, well, I'm not like one of those prophetic people. I'm not one of those people who keeps, loves their Bible and hears the voice of God. Actually, you are. You, if you're born again, you are. That's who you really are. And it might explain why your life seems a little bit out of whack at the moment. Because you're living out of appetites that aren't really you. What you really long for at your deepest level, at your spirit, is the voice of God. Is to hear and know him. Don't we all? Do? I just... I increasingly, as you've been looking at this subject these weeks, feel stirred to urge you to develop a hunger. Let me just finish by talking a bit about how this hunger is shown, how this appetite is demonstrated in, in attitude. What attitudes uh, betray the, the appetite, show the appetite? And, and Samuel is our example in, in this story, but such a good example. He shows an attitude to God's people, an attitude to God's scriptures, and an attitude to God himself, ultimately. Let's just very briefly look at these. An attitude to God's people. Samuel is hearing the voice of God just straight on. No mediation, just powerful, extraordinary experience of this audible voice coming to him. Eli is, you could say he's a has-been. He's a broken and to some extent, failed servant. Eli's got a bit of a tragic story, I'm sad to say. But notice that Samuel doesn't despise Eli. Samuel is so, as a child, humble towards the people of God. It's interesting that God moves into this whole new era that the first chunk of Samuel represents in the history of the Bible. This, this is a, a breaking point. This is a sea change. This changes the whole history of the world, this chapter of the Bible. And he starts with a child. He starts with a child deliberately because he nearly always does. Have you noticed? Start, starts, starts the new covenant with a baby in a manger. Starts, starts, starts Abraham's family with a, a baby to be born. 
God starts with, with children. Jesus made this point clearly. You have to become like a little child to enter this kingdom. You have to become, in what way, like a child? What do children do apart from you know, wet themselves? What is, what is Samuel doing in this story? He's demonstrating total dependence. He's humbly coming to a guy who's flawed, but still Eli represents the people of God. And Samuel's attitude is, I need the people of God. I, I need, yeah, with all its brokenness, you need the church. If you want to hear the voice of God, you need to hear the voice of God with other people. You do need to. You need help. Because you, you do. You are a child. Humble yourself. Wear L plates. If you want to learn to hear the voice of God, get used to the L plates. I, you know, with my children, it's, it's often a tension as they grow older. They want to be released from some of the stringencies and awkwardness of being, being I don't want to drink from that cup. I don't want to eat with a plastic plate. I'm, I'm a grown-up now. And, and children, they, they, they know from the beginning their dependence on God. And we need to stay in that sense. Humble, happy to be humble, happy to get it wrong, happy to say, oh, I, I, I thought that was you calling. Oh, it wasn't it? No, it, what's going on? I don't understand. Someone's calling my name. I, don't, I, I love the simplicity. I love the humor. I love the, the sense that Samuel is a total beginner, total novice. You will not really learn to hear the voice of God unless you become a beginner. And I mean that constantly. Stay a beginner. Jesus didn't say, become a little child today and then you can become very impressive. No, no, no. Remain childlike. Stay in that place. And this, this is huge for us. It's difficult for us. I find it difficult for all kinds of reasons. The more I get to know my Bible, the more tempted I am to be arrogant. The more tempted I am to use it, use my knowledge to bamboozle people, impress people, win arguments, show off effectively. It's dangerous. Learning to hear the voice of God is fraught with dangers. The most arrogant people in the world will often be people who once heard the voice of God. They once heard it, but they, they turned it into a tool for their own self-exaltation. And you can do that on the basis of academic knowledge of the Bible. You haven't really heard the voice of God for years. But you've become profoundly knowledgeable in a way that swells your ego. You could also be arrogant in, 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 I suppose, slightly more mystical ways. I don't really need the church. I don't need, I don't need Eli. I don't need this established. I don't need the gathered community because well, I, I'm, I'm more prophetic than you are. <laughs> Sorry, it's simple as that. I, I'm in the spirit more. I, I, the Lord shares things with me. He doesn't share them with you. That is a powerful danger. Don't go close to that spirit. I plead with you, Emmanuelas. If you ever see that in yourself, and if you see it in anybody else, then be careful of them. Anybody whose attitude is, well, I, I don't really need the church. I don't really need teaching. Because the Holy Spirit reveals himself to me just, just without mediation, just, just straight. Well, Samuel could have said that, but his mentality is still, no, I need, I need to learn. I need to get, sit at the feet. Yeah, flawed leader, Eli. Nevertheless, God's man, God's man, I will learn from you. I will be humble. What's your attitude to the church? I, Brighton is full of hundreds, hey, maybe thousands of people. Maybe you're one of them. You might be listening to this online or watching it who don't go to church because oh, they don't need to. I don't need to. I, I hear from God on my own. I don't, I'm spiritual on my own. You're not you're just you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. 
Who in your life really is your Eli? Who is it's not a podcast. It's got to be a person. It's got to be persons. It's got to be a sense. This is why this, this title of this sermon is a bit dangerous, hearing God for yourself. In a sense, it's impossible. You, can't, you simply can't come into the vacuum pack of, of selfish, self-centered spirituality. That's, that's what Brighton wants to offer us. Jesus doesn't. Jesus says, come with me, you come with my people. If you don't want my people, you don't really want me. So if you want to hear the voice of God, friends, humble yourself. Come back into his community. We're flawed. We're, not, we're going to disappoint you. We're like Eli, but Jesus is amongst us. Jesus walks amongst us, and his lamp hasn't gone out. Second thing that he shows a beautiful attitude with is his attitude to previous revelation. In a sense, it's not so much Samuel's attitude here. It's just the fact that there's a continuity with what's gone before. Samuel is hearing a powerful new message, and he's hearing it in a different way. You might think, well, God spoke in Exodus, you know, go back in the Bible, and, and God shows up in a, in a, on a mountain with, with thunder and lightning and fire. And so that's the way God speaks, right? That's the way God speaks. And, and you know, it's tempting. We often do this. We kind of put God in a box. That's how you speak. And yeah, understandable. If he speaks in a powerful way that way, that's, that's the way he speaks. But actually, when we dig into this book, we realize God speaks in so many ways. Such an extraordinary range of ways. I mean, he will speak literally audibly. And some people will have had that experience. I know, you know friends of mine in the church have had that experience of literally an audible voice. Specific, audible voice saying, do this. And they just, they, oh my goodness, where did that? They just, and it was a life-changing decision and God spoke in a very clear, audible way. I, I've never had that. And probably most of my, my uh, friends in the church haven't had that. But we've had God speak in all kinds of other ways, visions, dreams. Uh, there have been various ways in which my wife, for example, will sometimes just know something. Can't even explain how, but she just knows it. It's quite scary if you're a husband. It's quite scary generally. It's why church. It's why you need the church. You need to be around people who sometimes just know things, so they can ask you and talk to you. We need it. And God will, will speak in a variety of ways. And so, does that mean what? It's just free for all. <laughs> you know, forget Sinai. Forget. Let's get, forget the past. Forget previous revelation. Last week we were worshipping Jesus. This week I thought we'd worship this hedge that I just brought in. And, you know, that's, that's you know, because it's free. It's just, who's, it's just try different things every week. No. No, Samuel, Samuel here gets a revelation, but notice how much it is in tune with what's gone before. It's very clearly tied up with the story. Uh, God speaks to him and says, I'm about to do a thing in Israel. Uh, it says, on that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house. And then he talks about the stuff that his sons have been doing, which is blasphemy according to what has already been said. Now, I say this to make this very important point. The Bible is still the central way that God does speak to us and the testing ground for everything that he speaks to us in other ways. You think you're hearing from God without reading your Bible? You better check it out with the Bible. You better. We've got to be safe, clear, full of the, the helpful, healthy boundaries provided for us by Scripture so that we don't run off course into weird directions. We're kept steady by the centrality of the text, just like Samuel ultimately is being here. And then finally, just last of all, briefly, his attitude to God himself. You see this especially in the way that he follows through. It says, it says even, do you notice, 
he, he sleeps through the night, or at least he, I don't know, it says he lay there till morning. <laughs> Maybe he didn't sleep. Maybe there's a hint there. He did not sleep. I don't think I would sleep. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Why is he afraid? Because it's bad news. It's a tough message. He doesn't want to say something hard to Eli. He doesn't want to say something hard to Israel. It's painful. Hearing the voice of God is, is a huge privilege. But one of the reasons that we do reject it and grow deaf is because it will come with challenge. It, it just will. You want God to speak to you? Or, or strap in. <laughs> Get ready. Brace yourself. Because there will at least occasionally be things that you, oh, I wish he hadn't told me that. I didn't want to have to say this, and, or at least I didn't want to have to do this. Do I really? Is that really what God says to me? I don't, if I want to hear the voice of God, it sounded cool. It looked sexy at the start of the year with the really cool poster and the hearing God. I really like that. The artwork, everything. Excellent. I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to hear God. Suddenly, the challenge of, oh, does that mean I've got to change this? Does that mean I've got to stop doing that? Give this up? Hey, maybe for some of us, giving. You know, the reason we're not in a regular pattern of giving. We're just, just scared. It's just a scary prospect. It is scary. I understand. I understand it's scary to obey God. It's scary, but somehow, for this little boy, it's not too scary. Somehow, Samuel did it. Often, I don't. Often, God speaks to me, and I'm like, mm, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can say that. I'm just a bit scared. Samuel, not Samuel. Little boy was, was okay with it. He was scared, but he, he did it. He overcame the fear associated with hearing God's voice. How do you do that? You ultimately have to learn to trust in the greater Samuel. Let me just put it like this. Samuel, he goes through a terribly lonely night not looking forward to what the next day has for him. He's got to bring an announcement of judgment on God's people. And he's got to deal with the huge issue of holiness and judgment. And it's frightening to him. He doesn't give up. Jesus had to go through a lonelier night where he had to decide, do I take the cross? Do I submit myself to my enemies? Do I get taken away tried and executed? Do I go through the torment of taking on the sins of the world? Jesus did it. Jesus, in his loneliness, was ultimately lonely, utterly lonely, because he was abandoned by man and by God. But he did it so that you and I would never have to be. So that you and I, whatever we go through in a journey, in a pathway of obedience, God spoke to me. I had to finish a relationship. God spoke to me. I, I, I had to learn to give generously. God spoke to me. I had to quit this addiction. It was tough. God spoke to me. I had to stop that affair. God spoke to me. I, and it, it, it made a career change necessary. I had to move to a different part of town to, to sell my house because God spoke to me. Broke my heart. Hurt us as a family for a while. 
God spoke to us. The voice of God is painful. Hey, hearing the voice of God and obeying it, not always a comfortable path. It's a very different path when you're walking on it with someone who carried the cross for you. And he knows a much lonelier night than any that you'll ever know. And he did it for you. You can trust him. You can be like Samuel, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You've got to learn to have that attitude, that habit of the heart, and we will keep hearing the voice of God. Let's pray. Father, we want to become a community that hears you speak. That you said, my sheep know my voice. Lord, teach us each one to live in the good of that. In Jesus' name, amen.